my name is Tom Wallace. I am the managing partner of Florida Funders and welcome to Florida Funders Angel Investing in Florida podcast. For those of you who may be new to Florida Funders and our podcast, Florida Funders is a hybrid. We're a cross between a venture capital firm and a network of angel investors. And we are focused on investing in early stage tech companies across the state of Florida. At Florida Funders, we like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from Sunshine State to Startup State. And we're on a mission to make Florida as known for technology and innovation as we are today for tourism and strawberries or oranges, pick your fruit. We're pretty much a bunch of misfits. Most of us come from, we have a background as entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, angel investors with a history of fairly successful exits. We're also a network of over 1,500 angel investors. Many of our angel investors are former entrepreneurs and very successful business people and uh, across the state of Florida. And, and we're focused on finding funding and building the next generation of breakout technology companies in Florida. We have a really exciting show today. I'm super excited about our guest, Jeff Benick. I'll get to Jeff in a second. We're going to spend some time introducing you to Jeff. If you don't already know him, he's a very well-known guy here, especially in the Tampa Bay area. So Jeff had, was a very successful Wall Street investor, then became a hedge fund guy. I don't know if that's the right term, Jeff, but I, I'll call you a hedge fund guy. Sports team owner. He owns the Tampa Bay Lightning here. Turned real estate investor, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And something many people might not know about Jeff, he's an early stage tech investor, and he's invested in some of our portfolio companies here at Florida Funders, as well as he's a, an investor in our fund. And thank you, Jeff, for that. And thank you for your support. So welcome, Jeff. Again, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I thought we'd start off, I was thinking about your background. There are so many questions I have, but hedge fund investor to real estate investor, I got to hear that one. And then you get Bill Gates to be your partner with Cascade Ventures. There's got to be a story there. How did that come about? So how'd you go from hedge fund to real estate? How'd you get Gates as a partner? No idea. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm in a stream in an inner tube and you don't know quite which way it's going because you can't predict. And uh, Tom, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would no longer be running a hedge fund, that I would be living in Tampa Bay, that I'd own a hockey team, that I'd been doing, be doing a real estate development with Bill Gates, I would have said, you're crazy. You know, I was about 50 years old and I've been in the stock market investing for my entire career, 25 years, at 50 years old. And uh Decided to reinvent myself and love sports, love hockey, and uh, ended up purchasing the Tampa Bay Lightning, as you know, moved down to this great area in the last year or two. I mean, the year or two after that, it kind of went from there. And originally, you know, we were just focused on the Lightning. I was still running my hedge fund. I shut that down two, three years later because it was just too much to do. And we started accumulating real estate near the arena, there were, you know, empty parking lots. Was that like in 2008, 2009? Because it was a really good time to be buying real estate? It was 2009, 2010. And we were able to buy, you know, a bunch of, again, surface parking lots, almost 50 acres, pretty much at 30 cents of the dollar of what they had traded five years earlier at the height of a bubble, albeit inflated prices. But we knew we were getting a good enough price. Now, when we bought all this, the idea was, well, it probably makes sense to buy real estate across the street from our arena. And then it mm -hmm. probably makes sense to buy a parcel right next to that piece of real estate. And, it, you know, and so on and so on. 
And then we owned this 50 acres. I had no idea what we were going to do with it. I had no idea about urban planning. I had no idea about building a multi-use real estate district. And we did a lot of learning. And over the next couple of years, saw what was going on in the country, movement back to the urban core. And, and frankly, I think that's going to continue with, with young people after you know, when we get uh, this difficult period of COVID behind us, I think there's still going to be an allure. Of, I know there's still going to be a allure of the city. And I know there's going to be a great, uh, downtown Tampa is going to great be a great magnet for people to come in. So anyway, we were able to accumulate the real estate, uh, learn about districts, had a real understanding there was a lack of gathering spaces in the Tampa area. And this downtown district we're going to create would be a great gathering space. Todd Liewicki, CEO of the Lightning, was good friends with Michael Larson, who's the head of Cascade Investment, which is Bill Gates' investment company. So Todd in- introduced me to Michael, and we hit it off. And at the end of, I don't remember if it was the end of 2012, the end of 2013, you know, we become partners with Cascade. And originally, we were going to do somewhere $800 million to a $1 billion of mixed use. By bringing Cascade, and, and you know, that was... That was about as much as my wallet could handle, frankly. By bringing Cascade in, we're able to, to expand this to $3 billion and really do justice to all this land in this great location that we have with retail, with art galleries, with a bunch of residential buildings, several office buildings, USF School of Medicine, JW Marriott Hotel, Edition Hotel, condos. And a sense of place. So when you're on the street level, you're stimulated and excited. I mean, you can build the best buildings in the world. You've got to make it a fantastic place on the ground level. And by hiring James Nozar as our CEO of our real estate company, he's an expert at doing that. And uh, we think it's going to be real special. And a year from now, we're going to have a bunch of buildings coming out of it or a bunch of buildings finished now. So it's a very exciting time. Well, that's very exciting. And for those of you who haven't been to downtown Tampa lately, the area that, that Jeff is referring to, Water Street, I think you call it. Yeah. You go down there, there's just cranes everywhere. I mean, it, it, the construction and the people working, it's, it's very exciting. Now, going back, I, I have to ask you, I spent a, co- a bunch of my previous life working very closely with Microsoft. I was on their advisory council for two years. Did Gates personally get involved in this? Did you meet him in the, along the way or... Cascade does these investment conferences in Seattle once a year in December, and I've been invited to two of them, and actually three, and I missed one. And at both ones, uh, I got to meet and talk to Bill a bit. He knows about our project. I can't tell you he's weighing in on, yeah. you know, what what type of uh, furniture and furniture coverings we should have in our condos. But, you know, he's definitely aware of what we have going on. This is Cascade's biggest real estate project. So what we're doing in Tampa is really, really important to them. That's exciting. Well, you mentioned COVID, and obviously we're starting to come out of COVID, knock on wood. Schools are starting back up, colleges, kids are back in school. We'll see how that goes. But our Florida numbers here have been going in the right direction for quite a while, and that's pretty exciting. How has COVID affected your project down there? And and by the way, I agree with you. I I think kids are still going to want to live in urban areas. And New York's a, probably an anomaly. I don't know when that's going to come back. And yeah. I guess none of us do. But, you know, how's, how's COVID affected you over there? Ironically, we've actually, we're actually ahead of schedule on a bunch of the buildings for construction. Uh, in this state, you didn't have to shut down big commercial construction sites due to COVID. So actually, between that and lack of uh, traffic, 
we actually were able to pick up a month or two on a lot of our, you know, a lot of our structures and you know, most of which have been topped off. I'd say we got a lucky break. The worst thing that would have happened was all these buildings were finished in the last 12 months. And we'd obviously be having a very difficult time renting them right now and bringing yeah. in tenants, et cetera. In general, they're fin except for JW Marriott, which finishes near the end of the year, most of the other buildings are finishing the second half of 2021 into early 22. And we believe that COVID will be pretty much behind COVID by then, and the economy will be on another strong upswing. I am as bullish as I've ever been on this Tampa Bay area. I think we have tremendous things going on, including, you know, this uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem that we're developing and the angel investing and early stage investing. I still believe once we come out of this, we're going to slingshot and be this whole central area of Florida will be the leader in economic growth around, of all the country over the next 10 years. Couldn't be more bullish on this area. And I think we had an eight year economic run from the Great Recession, maybe nine or 10 years till when COVID hit. And the only thing that stopped that was COVID. That would have kept going. And now with what we're going through, and I know it's painless and people are out of work, but the only thing positive I would say about the economy is that it sets us up for another 10-year run. Barring an exogenous jolt like we just had, I think the 20s are going to be a great decade here. Unemployment will come down. People will get back to jobs. The quality of jobs will go up. Wages will go up. I think we're looking post-COVID at a very bright future everywhere, but especially in Tampa Bay. So we've just got to survive this uh, incredibly difficult period. Well, I think I hope you're right. I think we look at it, Florida funders, as not only is, you know, we're on the precipice, hopefully, of COVID being behind us and moving forward from that. But we also look at, you know, if you look at the technology changes that are coming on at the same time and we have a whole theory about this, like every 10 or 15 years, there's a major game changing technology starting in the 80s with the personal computer, 95 with the Internet, 2006 with a smartphone. You look Here we are in two, 2020 and we've got wow. artificial intelligence, augmented and virtual reality, Internet of Things, 5G, 3D printing, autonomous vehicles kind of all hitting us at one time. And, and the cloud, you, the movement to the cloud. And the cloud. If you think about that from an investor standpoint and an entrepreneur standpoint, I mean, this opportunity, we feel, is just unprecedented. And the wealth that will be created, both, again, from investors and the next Googles, the next Facebooks, the next Amazons coming in the next five to 10 years is just a, a, a tremendous opportunity. At least that's the way we look at it. And I agree with you, Tom. It is a unprecedented period of technology game changers. And, you know, the startup activity has been strong for several years. You talked about companies, you know, over the last couple of years, we can talk about companies that have gone from $2 billion in market cap to $50 billion in market cap. We could talk about them for, for an hour here. There's so many of them yeah. capitalizing on these new opportunities. It's accelerating. It's not yeah. going to stop. So, you know, when we look at the Tampa Bay area, which had been lagging on, you know, startup activity, the knowledge-based economy, you, we have to be a major player here. Any city does has to be a major player in the 2020s and beyond, because this is where the future of economic growth is. Exactly. It's not tourism and strawberries, right? 
<laughs> so when you look at that and you look at why areas become known for technology and for innovation, usually comes down to two things, capital and talent. The Florida funders were very focused on the capital side of it. And I know you have been too. So you go from hedge fund guy, then you get into real estate. Tell us how you got into you know, technology, early stage technology investing. And then I want to touch on Embark Collective, but we can do that kind of, that can be a follow-on question. Sure. So kind of going back to 2010, I bought the Lightning. We're still running the hedge fund. As we started in real estate, I just couldn't do everything. And I really lost a little of the enjoyment for the hedge fund industry. So I shut it down in 2012. And one thing I hate is when people ask me for advice on what they should do with their money, because I've always run all of my money. 2012, for the first time in my life, I was faced with the problem. I kept running some personal account money, but not that much. What am I going to do with my own money? And so I I invested some in real estate, even in addition to uh, what we have, Water Street, Tampa. Invested money in a bunch of hedge funds, invested in private equity, and invested in early stage. And kind of diversified across all of that as a learning experience over time. You strike me in, in, as a very avid learner that you you really, when you get into something, you dig in, you do a lot of research, you're, you're just really curious and, and it comes across very clearly to me. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I like doing that. I mean, I love doing that. I love taking like real estate with, with, the, with our project. I spent two years, you know, meeting people around the country and reading book after book after book about commercial real estate downtown, urban development. I mean, that is how I operated. Did the same thing when I bought the sports team, did the same thing for two years before starting up Embark Collective, our innovation hub. Interestingly, or I find this interesting, hopefully you and your your listeners will, as I learn more about traditional private equity buyout business and venture, I found that the equity, the public equity markets, which I obviously uh, think I know a lot about, that and the buyout market are pretty good cousins of each other. And the knowledge I have was pretty applicable for the companies, you know, more mature companies on the buyout sphere. But when you bring early stage and venture investments into the equation, it is a different animal than is the public markets. There was a multi-year learning process for me. One way of saying that is I got sucked in by a bunch of companies that probably you and I agree that probably shouldn't have been invested in. You have to be picky, obviously, and made mistakes in them. So it was definitely a learning experience. Early stage is a, it's such an interesting business. If you can be deliberate and very choosy with what you invest in, I believe you can do really well at that. And that's kind of how I've evolved over time. And I know it's how you guys invest in Florida funders. You're looking at hundreds, thousands of opportunities. You want the top 1%. We really feel part of our mission here is educating angel investors. And that's why we do this podcast. We call that the four D's of angel investing. And these are kind of mistakes that a lot of angel investors make. But the four D's are due diligence, deal flow, domain expertise, and diversification. And if you do all four of those, this asset class can perform very well. But if you, if you don't do those four things, maybe not so much. 
And when I look back, when I started, I get four Fs for those four Ds. I didn't do a very good job of that. <laughs> I think you're being, I think you're being hard on yourself. But as you know, the other thing with this game, and that gets into the diversification, is we always say in Florida Finance, a third of the companies we invest in are going to zero. A third, we're going to just get our money back, really no return, and we're going to make our, all our money on the other third. So we all have plenty of losers that we can talk about. And you usually lose on the losers before you win on the winners. So <laughs> it, it shakes you a little bit as you go along, but you just have to have persistence, as you know. You have any stories there about a deal that you invested in that you'd never do again or, you know? Oh, I got more stories than you can imagine, but I've already beat myself enough. I, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to share them. I mean, really, I was as novice as you can be starting out. I invested in some early stage stuff and I do out, oh, I have this percentage of the company, not fully understanding there'd be another round and another round and another round. And either I would have to invest more or get, diluted big time. I did not really understand that at the beginning. Yeah. So I could have used you guys to, to educate. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, I, we like to say we take the heavy lifting out of angel investing because we do all those four D's for our investors. So they don't have to do them, but it's still a game of numbers and you gotta, you gotta do a lot of deals as you know, to, to get the returns. And, and you're absolutely right. The losers come a lot quicker than the winners, but hopefully the winners make up for a lot more than the losers. Anytime that you know we look at, at, at investing in early stage and we look at these companies, we tend to think that the founder is a big part of that. You know, we're betting on the jockey, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm assuming you probably agree with that. And if you do, what do you look for in founders? What are the what are the things you're looking for when you're looking at an early stage founder and you know they come to you with all the excitement and this great idea? And- so yes, anytime I've hired or invested in people that are sevens on a scale of one to 10 in terms of integrity and persistence and all these. Anytime I've, I've invested in a seven on a one to 10 scale, I've generally not done well. You need, one thing you need in, in, in venture is you need, certainly you need high integrity per people. You certainly want smart people. You want well-rounded people in all aspects of a business. Hopefully, they've been through two or three rodeos beforehand. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, credible mental steadiness to be able to handle the ups and downs and pivots that come along with starting up an early stage company and are able to work long hours. I mean, the best of them, it takes over their lives for a period of time. And, you know, it might be two or three years in a startup. And then as they get bigger, there are other people. But it is a 100% all-in proposition from day one to make new companies work. So ideally, it's a founder or a team that has all those traits that I mentioned there. I have an older brother. He just sold his company to Roper Technologies in Sarasota for uh, $1.6 billion. He had a pretty nice exit. I can remember him telling me years ago, he's, he's like... Tom, there's, and his name's Tim or Tim and Tom. <laughs> he says, Tom, there's a lot smarter guys out there than me. I know there are a lot of, a lot of my competitors that the guys running those business or the women running those business know a lot more about this industry than I do. But I guarantee you, no one's going to outwork me. I'll yeah. be the first guy in the office in the morning. I'll be the last guy to leave. He would put a million miles a year flying all over the world. As you're talking about founders and entrepreneurs. It seems like work ethic and perseverance, which you were referring to as well, is just 
so, so important because it's such, such a tough thing. Building a company from scratch is brutally hard work, right? It's not just having a great idea. It is go-to-market strategy. It is finance. It is fundraising. It is scaling up from a, you know, a scale point of view, dealing with things that come out of nowhere, like COVID, although that's an extreme event. You got to wear so many hats. And, you know, as you know, companies have to do all of those things well. It's not just you can have a great product. You need a great product and great idea and great people. You put that together and you got a good chance of making it uh, successful. Yeah, you brought up fundraising. One of the things that we hear from our founders a lot is, hey, uh, you know, we're, you know, when we're talking about what are you focused on, what are you spending your time on, we hear them say, well, you know, I'm really focused on fundraising right now. I don't really have a lot of time for the business. And we always say, look, if you think fundraising is a full-time job as a founder, you're right. If you ain't running the business as a full-time job, you're right. You got to figure out how to do both at the same time. You're right. Uh, that's true. And some of them get that and some of them don't. Switching gears a little bit. You don't strike me as a gamer, Jeff. Are you a gamer? No. Yeah, no. you just strike me as one. But no. I read in your background and, you know, preparing for this. And, and I actually saw it a, a few years ago. You got it, you made some significant investment in esports. Tell us about that. It was probably about three years ago, Tom, and Peter Guber, who is owner of Golden State Warriors, Los Angeles Dodgers, and a bunch of other teams, and Ted Leonsis, owner of all the Washington sports teams, the Cavs and hockey, basketball team, et cetera. And one of the founders of, uh, what did Ted found? Um, AOL. AOL, yeah. They got together and they they, they started an esports venture and invested in an esports team. And I was bullish on the opportunity in esports. I could see the growth that was going on, which is basically taking playing video games here and now being able to do it online and competing with the top people in the world with it over time and putting a structure around that. So I was bullish on that opportunity. And I would never have done it on my own because I didn't know much about it. Ted and Peter are two of the guys that I respect hugely. And I just thought, one, it'd be fun to get into the area. Two, it'd even be more fun to, you know, work with both of them and, and learn a lot. I can't tell you how much I learned from both of them. Even it may not even be related to esports, maybe related to a more traditional sports. So it was really about getting involved with those people and trying to get in early on this esports trend. And so far, so good. We chose a great team in Team Liquid to buy. Actually, those guys bought it before. Peter bought it before any of us were involved. It's been arguably the most successful team in the world. Made a couple of uh, good investments, some pretty major investments we've made in a couple of leadership companies. Epic Gaming, which is Fortnite, et cetera. Your investors in Epic? So the company, the, the parent company is Axiomatic. Axiomatic owns about 70% of Team Liquid, which is the esports company, which plays a ton of different games, esports games. The other part of Axiomatic invests in various companies. And the biggest of those investments is Epic, which is, again, the publisher of Fortnite. Involved in a big lawsuit with Apple right now, right? Yes, they're not shy. They're not shy. Um, They're tired of paying Apple 30%. (laughs) They think everybody should be tired of paying Apple 30%. I'm not going to argue on the merits of that. I don't think I'm as capable of doing that as others are. Well, interestingly enough, we heard a pitch from a company to, uh, earlier this week who has a solution to get around that for gaming companies so that they don't have to go through the app store. 
it was really fascinating. We're still doing our due diligence. I don't know if we're investing, but uh, their list of investors is like a who's who of athletes and celebrities. And it was really interesting. So you started, you know, you've had such an impact on Tampa and it's just more than any person that's come here. I've been here for 30 years, more than any, any politician, any entrepreneur that I've seen come through the doors in 30 years and just incredible. And one of the things that you did was open Embark Collective with, with Lakshmi a couple of years ago. For those of you who don't know what Embark Collective is, I'll let, Jeff, I'll let Jeff tell the story. How did that come about? Yeah, so after buying the team, after you know getting the real estate venture up and running and bringing in great people to run all of those, I started thinking about the Tampa Bay impact. And obviously, I have a high profile as owner of a professional sports team. I was trying to think, what are the most important things for this area that could increase the slope on economic growth, quality of life for people over the next you know 10 to 20 years? And two things jumped out to me. One was improving our transportation system, accelerating public different means of public transportation. And I, as you know, I got heavily involved with that, including in the referendum two years ago, because I thought that was a game changer. Passing the referendum, the money that produces is a game changer in terms of our growth uh, in this area and getting people access to opportunities, et cetera. It's a shame Scott turned on the bullet train, isn't it? <laughs> Our previous governor. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And right now, as you know, this this one, one cent sales tax is... Supreme Court of Florida is weighing in whether it's something we can do or can't do. Oh, I was unaware of that. Yeah, we got caught up in the voters passed this 56-44. And as you know, we've had referendums here over 30 years and none of them ever passed. People recognize that they need better transportation. And that's why this thing passed. And you get caught up in politics and you start with one public servant who, for his own or variety of reasons, thinks this is not a good idea. And then other people jump on it. And the next thing you know, it's before the Florida State, Florida Supreme Court. And we're hoping for a victory. And it's an all or nothing. We get a victory and this one cent tax continues to be collected. And we can, again, change this area in a big way, mobility-wise. And if they vote it down, we're kind of back to square one and have to do it again. And it's a bit of a frustrating situation, as you can imagine. Again, the voters passed at 56-44. That's not I right voted for it too, Jeff. <laughs> Good. So did yeah, I. I wrote a check. <laughs> Thank you. I wrote several. Uh, I know you did. <laughs> you did too, I think. I think yours were bigger than mine. <laughs> uh, we all do what we can. I appreciate the support on that. We all do. So anyway, I did transportation. Then I started, in addition to transportation, I realized we have a great region. We have a very good economy, but we don't have a great economy here yet. And knowledge-based jobs like I've talked about and technology, uh, whether it's healthcare technology or more traditional technology, as you know, part of your mission too in both this area and all of Florida, we need to accelerate that path. So Jim O'Connell, my president of my family office and I, we spent two years flying around the country, meeting with people, meeting with venture companies, meeting you know entrepreneurs, meeting with uh, the sport organizations, meeting with funds that invest, et cetera, customers, trying to learn everything we could. And we knew and then came up with the vision about starting up a hub, which would be a great 
great meeting ground for startup people who can spend time with other people like themselves. We were able to buy a building in Tampa or rent a building in Tampa that is near uh, the real estate district, just over the other side of the expressway, 32,000 square feet, and opened in the beginning of the year. We have 53 companies in there and growing, quite highly utilized. And we provide tremendous coaching in all the different aspects. We try to help with capital raising. We try to help with customers. We encourage meeting, you know, collisions between these people to help them develop their ideas and all. And the whole idea here was to help create a space to work with you guys, to work with the wave downtown, to work with you. Yeah, the other incubators accelerate. Well, you're very, you and, and your team, Lakshmi, are very good. And Jim O'Connell, you have such great people on your team. And one of the things that has impressed me about them is they're always wanting to partner with everybody and, and you know work together and and that's how we're gonna you know that's how we're gonna lift up this area in our tech ecosystem and if you if for our listeners if you haven't been to Embark Collective which is what we're talking about just place over there near the arena it's really impressive you've done a great job with it Lakshmi's done a great job congratulations and I do think it's going to have the kind of impact you're talking about on this area for really generations to come. Yeah, it's a bit of a showpiece. And, you know, so fortunate to hire Lakshmi. She's a star. And uh, we're in great hands with her running, both great hands with our innovation hub with her running it. And she's and, and the Tampa Bay area, she's a great talent to contribute there. And how you do all that you do. I wonder about it sometimes, uh, you know, when I, when I visit you. You got so much on your plate. As, aside from hockey, what are your hobbies? What do you, what do, you do in your spare time? Or, or do you have any? I love all these things that I do, and they're all fun and interesting. Um, you know, number one, spending time with my kids, whether we're just, uh, whether they're coming and visiting us. My, all four of my kids are pretty much grown up, going on vacation with them, going to their place. Frankly, this August and September are terrific. They're all with us here. We're on Cape Cod right now during COVID, and we're watching a lot of hockey with all our kids. And honestly, I know it's a tough time for everybody. It's a tough time to be an owner of a sports team. But, you know, we're, it's precious time. We will never get, you know, two months straight with our children, grown-up children who we love to spend time with, et cetera. So that's number one of what I like to do. Otherwise, nothing really fancy. I don't play golf. I stopped that when I moved to Tampa because I didn't enjoy it and it took up too much time. Mm-hmm. I might. We, we bought a place down in Sarasota on the water, so maybe buy a boat and get involved with that. I used to sail when I was young. Dinner, go out for dinner, socialize a little bit. Um, watch TV, read, nothing too exciting here. I'm not jumping, jumping out of helicopters. <laughs> well, one of the things you've done an amazing job of locally also is your philanthropy. You're involved in so many different charities. You're so generous with your, your time and your, and your treasure. I read about that and I've witnessed and seen much of it personally. So in thinking about that, I was thinking about, well, what do you want your legacy to be? And we'll, we'll wrap up with this. What, what, uh, when you think about your legacy, what would you like that to be? I don't. I don't really love the word legacy. That's not driving me. Does it bring up your mortality? <laughs> no, well, I don't know that well. I tell you, ever since I turned 60, that mortality thing is hovering uh, <laughs> over me like a cloud. I gotta, I'm, working on, I'm working on that. You know, I want to have, you know, Penny, my wife and I, we want to have four you know, hopefully high class people, our kids, 
active members of society, contributing to society. So yeah, we we want to see our kids. You know, we hopefully uh, we have great kids when we uh, are no longer here. I'd like to win a Stanley Cup someplace, somewhere, somewhere along the way. Arguably, we've had the best team in hockey the last six, seven years, but we haven't been able to get to the pinnacle. Hopefully, we can do that one of these years, and why not this year? We're halfway there. And, you know, hopefully we leave Tampa Bay a better place when, you know, when our work is done here than when we started it, whether that's, again, in terms of, opportunities for people, quality of life, economic growth, experiences. You know, that's a, that's a big driver for, for me and Penny is just, you know, make this a better place. There are a lot of us involved here, but when you live in New York and Boston, which are places I've really lived my whole life, you can't move the needle that much. But you come to Florida and come to this area, which is such a great place to live, but it's kind of undiscovered. It's a tremendous mm-hmm. opportunity to move the needle a big, a long way. And that's, frankly, uh, that's what drives me. And that's, it's, it's a lot of fun being able to make a difference. You know that, too. As you get older, it's less about making money and tangible things like that. It's more about, you know, making a difference and helping people. Well, you've made a huge difference in this area and moved the needle in a more significant way than anyone else I can think of. And as I had alluded to earlier. So we'll wrap up with that last question. Any of the kids interested in taking over the family business? <laughs> no, um, we've got, you know, there is, a, we have a bunch of family businesses. My oldest kid is a lawyer, probably get involved in antitrust law. My second oldest son, my oldest is 30. He's uh, finishing up law school and probably be involved in antitrust law. My 28 year old son is the next one. He sells streetwear clothing and art around the world. And he loves that. My third is my daughter, uh, who's in Nashville, Tennessee, likely to move to Boston. And she's she's interested in the fashion industry herself and perhaps the real estate industry. She's trying to figure that out. And then my youngest, who is still with us, he's 19, or is he 20? And he loves theater and wants to be a stage manager. So I'm not seeing anybody who wants to manage money or do any of the things that we're involved with. Well. Uh, Jeff, this has been great. Thank you so much. I know our listeners are going to love this. They really appreciate your insights. Congratulations on your success and and thank you for all you're doing for Tampa. To our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about Florida funders and angel investing, you can go to floridafunders.com, our website. You can also follow us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel. We've done many of these podcasts and we've had people like Alex Ohanian on, the founder of Reddit. Serena Williams' husband. We've had Peter Maluth, the number one wealth manager who's on CNBC all the time. And Chris Sullivan, the founder of Outback Steakhouse and folks like that. So those are all out on our YouTube channel. So thanks again, Jeff. Thanks to our listeners. And with that, we'll sign off. Thank you, Tom. I enjoyed it.